Good afternoon. You're on the panel. RNZ National, Sue Kesley with us. Also, Jock Anderson graciously joining us uh, in the middle of the night uh, from Edinburgh in Scotland. To this first, a divided and ageing population <coughs> vulnerable to extremist ideologies, the impacts of war, including close to us, climate change. Three issues seen as high risk to national security. A first of its kind landmark report titled National Security Long-Term Insights Briefing has revealed that natural disasters also and the spread of harmful information are our biggest worries. The briefing was produced by nine government agencies, surveyed a thousand people, discussed at a hui in Auckland today. Professor Richard Jackson is from the National Centre for Peace and Conflict Studies at Otago University. He's with us now. Professor Jackson, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Some really dense issues in this report. What's stuck out most for you? Well, you know, the thing that stuck out the most for me is that um, security studies scholars, uh, including myself, have been looking at this for quite some time, and we, you know, we've noticed... Um, and focused exactly on these emerging, really complex kind of security challenges. Mm. Uh, And what's surprising is that the public has picked up on that as well. Because, I mean, I would have expected, given the nature of politics and given the nature of, um, frankly, media coverage and so on, that the public wouldn't have been quite so educated and aware. So it strikes me as, as a really important sort of confluence between public opinion and expert opinion that we have this really changing and complicated national security landscape now uh, and what we really need is for the national security system to begin to really adapt to that. Yeah, yeah, very interesting there. And I guess what did strike me, or one thing I do want to point out, I know that Sue and Jock will have questions too, but warning of the country's increasingly divided and ageing population could become further vulnerable to extremist ideologies, and something that you've pointed out before, Richard. But also, too, the nature of society is becoming polarised, even here in Aotearoa. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, this, this is one of the most worrying trends we've seen probably from the last decade, of, decade or so is that, um, and you, you know, you can see it in the rising number of populist, both left and right wing populist movements around the world. And, you know, the most recent being in Brazil, where you have this really uh, stark division between the supporters of the right wing and the left wing. Um, yeah, this just this is a trend that's incredibly worrying, particularly when you combine it with uh, the changes in information technology and the rise of disinformation and misinformation, um, which in turn leads to a lack of trust in public institutions. So there's there's a lack of trust often in in the media and in politics and right. in scientists and education and so on. Uh, which then enhances that polarisation even more. Shall we start with Jock first, because he's the one uh, in the middle of the night. Make sure he's uh, fully on board with us. Jock, what uh, issues do you see here? Any questions? I'm just a bit concerned about the the reference uh, here um, to the country's increasingly divided and ageing population. Uh, Are we the people who are going to become more vulnerable to... um, you know, extremist ideologies. I would have thought that uh, older people would have been less likely to be vulnerable to extreme ideologies because 
in my experience, they've got more common sense. What do you think of that? Wow. lot to think about there, Richard. Yeah, I, I'm, I, to be honest, I'm not really sure what to make of that. I, I mean, I, just, I think the broader mm. point that the survey and the um, report was making is that um, we have, we're in the middle of, of quite stark demographic change. I think that's, that's the takeaway message here. The population is a- aging, but it's also becoming much more diverse. And I think when you've got those kinds of um, strong demographic changes, it creates social instability because it, it, it makes all our kind of certainties seem unstable. And, and if you add into that uh, disinformation and misinformation, um, and growing political divisions, then that can be a recipe for further conflict, uh, and particularly violent conflict as well. Sue? Yeah, well, um, I agree with you that it's terrifying to see that the polarizing trends that we see around the world are also being reflected here. And incidentally, now that the delightful Elon Musk has taken over Twitter, he'll no doubt be um, contributing that platform to increasing misinformation. But I thought it was really interesting that the sixth threat 71% of New Zealanders thought, because they were asked which were the threats they thought were the greatest, they thought there was a risk of violent conflict between groups in New Zealand in the next uh, 12 months. I'm sincerely hoping uh, that they're wrong about that, couldn't bear another one of those sort of parliamentary flare-ups. But the other thing I thought was a bit surprising, they, they identified these 16 risks and they asked New Zealanders what did they think, how real they were. But they never mentioned climate change uh, in their uh, list of um, threats to New Zealand, which I, I would have thought was I right th- up there. I, I think they did, didn't they, Sue? No, no, they said something about, not, not in the list that they gave us, uh, or they, they gave right. a thousand reviewers, they vaguely mentioned something about Pacific resilience yep. somewhere in the okay. long-term trends. But um, yeah, I would have thought that was right up there too. Richard? Yeah, look, the way I interpreted um, the number one concern of natural disaster was in relation to climate change, because I think that, um, you know, if we think about the the current climate crisis that we're in, it, it is going to see, as the scientists keep telling us, more and more of these uh, extreme weather events uh, and the kind of flooding that we've already had this year but the flooding that we've seen in places like pakistan but also now over in australia as well as the droughts and the forest fires and you know all these other things as well so i mean i kind of think it's reflected a bit in that that people are worried that um you know these kinds of extreme events are going to keep happening and may cause harm uh, to their own lives Professor Jackson, what is the take-home message in all of this? You know, why uh, was this report done? Looking at the, um, the, the the key issues for national security, where does or how does the government now take this information and react to it? Look, I think that's a that's a fantastic question, and I also think that um, you know the government is to be con- commended here in that for Mm. for too many years, I think national security and discussions around national security have been extremely elite-driven and elitist in many ways. And I mean, and that's reflected in the survey with a lot of people um, expressing that they don't feel that they get enough information and they don't have enough chance to talk about this. 
it, it came out also from the Christchurch Commission. Uh, I, and I think there's a general thrust here of, of the government saying, well, how can we have a, a deeper discussion about New Zealand's national security? Um, and I think partly here is a reflection of the fact that for up until, rec- up until now, really, uh, our security sort of approach has been a very traditional, I would say, Cold War based approach where we align closely with our Anglophone um, allies uh, and we kind of defer to them and cooperate with them and we get our technology to be interoperable with them and we go and fight their wars and so on. And, and there's now a recognition that actually the, the security challenges we're facing are far more complex than that. Uh, hmm. We've got a new definition of security and so we've got to have a new security paradigm. Very good, uh, Richard. Kia ora. Thank you very much, uh, as always, for your time. That's Professor Richard Jackson there from the National Centre for Peace and Conflict Studies at Otago University, 17 past four. We've got Jock Anderson uh, in Edinburgh, Scotland, also Sue Kishley, and there has been a, quite an interest in what Jock said in his I've Been Thinking About the Buses. He says, in Edinburgh, forget about it. They are brilliant. Did Jock mention the absolutely brilliant light rail in Edinburgh. It takes you from the airport to the heart of the inner city, providing worker travel in suburbs it passes through. There was controversy during the planning with budget blowouts, but now they love it. It's just a source of great pride for those in Edinburgh, says Charles. Do you know about this, Jock? Yes, I do. In fact, we've been on it uh, from the city centre out to the airport uh, on a What's jaunt. What's it like? A free, a free jaunt. It's great. It's it's again, it's it's quick. It's smooth. It's clean. It works on time. Major problem at the moment, though, uh, Wallace, is that it's only half built, and uh, there's uh, great uh, congestion through half of the city uh, as the as the the powers that be are building the the rail the tracks out to Leith, uh, away out on the coast. Uh, but when that is done, you'll be able to travel basically from the Firth of Forth from Leith, almost right way down by the Royal Yacht Britannia, right right across um, Edinburgh out to the airport. Goodness. And it'll be fantastic when it's done. But, oh, I mean, right. the light rail, it works. Okay, so that uh, sounds like you're a bit of a convert now, uh, Jock, because you you wouldn't have said this 10 years ago on the panel, I can tell you what. Um, Absolutely. Me- Meg says, uh, just after four years today, I tried to catch the bus from Mount Eden to the city for the Auckland Council conversation on collaborative partnership against climate change. Two cancelled buses later, went home to get the car to be there on time. So so on that, if you, like me, live in Auckland and are an Aucklander, you'll know the big issue. Whether you're in a business or a commuter, the big issue is congestion. School drop-off time, it can take you a long time to get from A to B. If it's drizzling, forget about it. Add 40 minutes to any trip. So for many, buses are important. There are bus lanes and can take you close to your destination a bit faster. But we hear today that nearly a 1,000 Auckland bus services suspended. Uh, Mayor Wayne Brown said in a release at 3pm today quoting Auckland bus users don't want to be told buses are going to turn up that then don't. With us is John Reeves, the Public Transport Users Association National Coordinator. Kia ora John. Are you there John? 
Can you hear us? Where are you? Can you hear me? Yep. yep. Can you yep. hear me? Good. Yeah. Oh, All right. Yep. All right. So, John, we've been just hearing these tales of paradise from Edinburgh about <laughs> yeah. a uh, light rail that they love and it works and a bus transport system that people love and it works. Today, 931 services a day discontinued from this weekend. It'll impact the inner link, the other green ones, the city link, the red one. How are you seeing this issue, John? Well, for public transport users, bus, bus users in particular, you know, this is a disaster. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, we're trying to get people out of cars and onto buses. And if we don't have the buses, people will stay in their cars. And so, you know, this is not doing anything for Auckland's traffic jam issues, is it? But it's out of anyone's control, right? I mean, no one can magic up any more bus drivers. It's just well, no, the way no, things are, is, isn't it? No, 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 no. This is where, actually where you're wrong. Mm. See, a couple of years ago, things were brewing that we were getting short of drivers, and the government did nothing. The Minister of Immigration did absolutely nothing to allow for more bus drivers to come into the country. Um, and then we had the problem for pay rates. So we've got this contracting system which drove pay rates of drivers right down, so no one wanted to come into the industry. We also did not, the Minister of Immigration, who's also the Minister of Transport, didn't open up the door to allow more bus drivers to come in. So in a way, we've seen this coming, and now we're at the crux of the matter. Okay. Now the train is at our face. But, 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 <laughs> no, before they go, I'm just reading here, I'm seeing here that beige, base wage rates are going to be heading towards 30 bucks an hour for urban services, 28 bucks an hour, John, for regional services. Yep. Those, in four years. Those, yeah, yeah, no, three years. Those things are being put in motion, John. Where are yes. the bus drivers? You just can't blame but, it but all Wallace, on the government and immigration. Wallace, Wallace the bus has already left. What they're doing now is panic mode. The buses have gone. They aren't there. And so now, we, of course, they're having to do this. But this should have been done uh, 18 months ago. But so, it wasn't. It's right now until we've waited. We've got into this crux of the matter where there's passengers at bus stops and there's no buses. So they're going into cars like that person you read out. That's yep. an example of. Right, is, so, it's an absolute, so, I agree, it's a complete disaster. But, I mean, what do you expect when you pay bus drivers just above the minimum wage. I mean, they're paying yep. them about $23, $24. That's changing, a, Sue. No. It's changing. Over, the minister has said he's going to put in $61 million yep. to bring them up over a period of four years. Look, so that we he's talking about up to $28. What we need to attract bus drivers, they should be getting the equivalent of a heavy truck driver, which is about mid-30s. And also, yes, it's right. not only the salary, it's the conditions. Um, we, sh- we need to, st- you know, they have this business of they have to uh, split shifts, they have to move away from that. Uh, and fundamentally, as you've touched on, uh, the whole problem was this contracting out business. We need, you know, it should be that councils can simply, uh, they can run their own bus service and provide uh pay drivers decently instead of which we have this ridiculous for the previous national government forced all councils to contract out their bus services and we've had a race to the bottom so the the one the cheapest contractor you know paid their uh, bus drivers uh, the the most the cheapest rates all right. i mean you try being a bus driver can you okay. imagine stay there, stay i wonder there, what jo- they pay uh, the bus right. drivers in edinburgh jock. okay john stay there let's bring in uh, jock you and you can respond john there, jock. there is a fundamental difference uh, that i've uh, um, worked out uh, from both sides of the world 
And in Edinburgh, people are encouraged to use public transport as first-class citizens. In New Zealand, you are dis discouraged. You are regarded as second- and mm -hmm. third-class citizens because it, it seemed to be, oh, you're on the bus, you must be poor. You can't afford a car. So, here, everybody, knights of the realm travel on buses here. Everyone travels on buses because the thinking and the philosophy, from what I see, is completely completely different. Do you hear that, John? I, I, I tell you what, yep. I, I can I can support what he says. I'm waiting for a bus and a, a mate will come along and oh, you're using the loser cruiser. I mean, yep. uh, quote, unquote, yeah. their words. Now, well, that, that is, hang on, hang on. That is changing. Let me be very clear. But there is a perception, particularly in Tamaki Makoto. Yeah, no, that's true. And I'd like to touch base on the fact about the uh, the uh, PTOM and how it was a race to the bottom for contracts and bus drivers' wages. You've got to remember, we've had Phil Twyford and Michael Wood as Minister of Transport for the last five years, and to date, they have not done anything about it to turn that around so that councils could take over the routes, get rid of the foreign-owned, because in Auckland, they're nearly all either Australian, American, or Scottish-owned bus companies. Get rid of the foreign-owned bus companies who are taking millions of dollars out of our ratepayers and taxpayers' pockets and let the councils run it and pay the bus drivers decent wages. We used to have the here, Auckland here. Regional Authority that used to be the highest-paying bus company or organisation in Auckland, and everyone wanted to work to drive buses for the ARA, and that was council-owned. So I believe we need to bring that back and get rid of these foreign-owned um, all right. Contracting I'd be really interested. I'd love to hear what our mayor thinks of that and uh, other mayors actually, but I've got to come back to this bit of interest in this. Um, but nonetheless, uh, that's where we stand today. Uh, nearly a thousand Auckland bus services suspended from this weekend. In fact, I think that's November the 10th. Uh, am I right? No, that, no sorry, the, the 6th, yeah. I think, yeah. And they say I, they're temporarily removing these services, but it sounds rather like oh, permanent yeah. cancellations to me. John, yes, kia ora. That's right. Appreciate your Thank time. You. That's Thank the you. Public Transport User Association National Quarter, John Rees. Uh, Sue Kesley and Jock Anderson on the panel. So yesterday, I asked you whether you buy into Halloween. Do you, like me, hate it? This was my firmly held opinion, until a random encounter last night. I'm walking my little dog, Banjo, and little Junior, he wants to come for a stroll. Outside a house on our street, he notices a coffin on the lawn, then a skull. And the resident says, come inside. In every direction, in every crevice in that house, Halloween seeped from the walls. A witch with an automatic turning head. It was a blockhouse bay, house of horrors with sweets, and it blew me away. So I thought, I'm going to get this Halloween-loving border on the program. Aaron Gagan, kia ora. Lovely to have you on the program. <laughs> hey, Wallace, how are you? How are you? More like it. Uh, good, good. I have to go home and tidy up. Oh, yeah, but, well, I bet you do. So your house, you invited us kindly inside, as you did all the kids. It's dripping in paraphernalia. Where did this all start with you? This is not this is not normal, Aaron. Uh, kind of is. It's uh, pretty normal in at home in Ireland. Um, oh. um yeah, it's a pretty big deal in Ireland. Yes. Yeah, so you were saying to me that actually less so here, but in Ireland, Halloween is 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 quite a um, celebrated festival. Yes, it, it you know it goes the whole way back to two thousand years, so it does. To the Celts. Um, oh. Yeah. Mm. So, 
I, I, I have to get you on. I just want to tell you, Aaron, that you changed my mind. I hated it, but you made me understand what it was all about. Did you have many people through? Yeah, quite a lot. So we did. And obviously we had a tent outside, which was blacked out for the kids. And yeah. it was pretty scary in there. And we had a couple of kids just flat out refused to go in, which was uh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Sue Kishti? Halloween fan? Uh, never have been, but um, y- you know anything that gets the kids sort of they're delighted with it. And the other thing that it struck me: the only time kids are allowed to roam around the neighbourhood, dropping, uh, knocking on doors, is in this <laughs> Halloween. Yeah, very true. What about you, Jock? Stay there, Aaron. Jock. Yes, of course, I was brought up on Halloween uh, as a kid in Aberdeen a long time ago. Ah. Terrifying experience as a little lad. But it's interesting how, you know, people sort of rush around and celebrate, you know, what is, you know, the most significant date in the pagan calendar these days. But I know, I think I've got got you a measure, uh, Wallace, and it was Mm -hmm. the lollies that won you over. It was a giveaway. You said there were sweeties being given away in the house. I think that's what's changed your mind. That's right. Aaron the bully, he gave me me an eyeball, and I popped it into my mouth, and I said... Oh, there you go. Yeah, you you had the eyeballs, (laughs) didn't you, Aaron? Uh, And you you generously bestowed upon little Wallace Jr. At dinner time, I might add, lots of sweeties. (laughs) But... but, it's, it's That's the magic, the magic being worked. Yeah, Aaron? It, 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 no, it was, you know, we're losing our sort of community feel, and mm. we got the kids out last night, and we got, you know, got to know our neighbours who were going around trick-or-treating, so that was the major plus-plus out of it. Yeah, is, and is that, Aaron, is that, on a more serious note, is that the wider issue that something like Halloween, you celebrated in Ireland, and that's something that we as communities here in Aotearoa perhaps need to, you know... Uh, work on? Yeah, possibly, possibly. But like, it was just, life has got busy and it was just really good to get walking down the street and meet our neighbours and knock the doors and yeah, and everybody was quite generous. Good so, on you, Aaron. It was fun. Yeah, we'll pay you back sometimes, eh? We'll pay you back with a with a plate of scones or something like that. Um, yeah. But now it's Aaron, who's a Halloween-loving uh, builder. But there's something to be said to that, though, uh, Sue, isn't it? That old-fashioned breaking down the barriers uh, of community. And that's why I've actually decided to recant my hate of Halloween. I realised it was the new version or the newish version of taking a plate of scones over to your neighbour. It is. Um, I agree, but I also agree with you. It's a sort of excuse to sort of pump kids up with um, uh, uh, sweets and goodies that um, will wreck their teeth and um, a few other things. But nevertheless, it does promote a certain community spirit and so, and and uh, fun for the kids. Yeah. Uh, by the way, a bit of response too regarding your I've been thinking there, Sue. Uh, in fact, Professor Ralph Sims says, please tell Sue the uh, Electricity Retailers Association runs the Energy Mate program to support low income families using electricity wisely. Uh, it's good the, to hear. Yeah. Uh, it is the panel.